It's so lovely to have the opportunity to speak to you this morning. And I wonder what you would say are some of the most commonly used words of 2020. COVID, anyone? Unprecedented has got to be up there. What about uncertain? Social distance, bubble, self-isolation, Zoom, new normal. And so it goes on. And I'm sure you would add a number of words to that list. For me, one of the words I found myself using for a range of experiences and feelings has been bittersweet. And there have been many bittersweet occasions, both painful and lovely all at once. And the Bible is full of stories and examples of the bittersweetness of life. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And in Psalm 3, David says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes, my body and soul are withering away. I'm dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. But I am trusting you, O Lord saying, you are my God, my future is in your hands. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. These are certainly strange times to be living in. So much change, so much uncertainty, many disappointments. But as people who follow Jesus and have a hope and a faith in him, how do we respond? How do we live in the here and now? How do we cope? How do we thrive? How do we face the struggles and also embrace the promise of hope and joy in the midst of it all? How do we embrace the bittersweet? Bitter and sweet. It seems a life of faith requires us to embrace the bitter so that we can fully experience the sweet. Recognising the pain and sadness whilst also living in and sharing the joyful hope that we find in Jesus. I want to take a look at the book of Ruth this morning. Ruth is the main character in the book that bears her name. But in many ways, the book of Ruth is also Naomi's story. A story of a woman who lost everything and found it again. A woman who journeyed from emptiness to fullness and from bitterness to beauty. There is so much we can learn from the lives of Ruth and Naomi, so let's delve in. But don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It is only four chapters though, the book of Ruth, so if you've not read it before or you haven't read it for a while, why not pick it up and read it this week? Let me just give you an overview. It only takes a few short verses to describe Naomi's devastation. Naomi lived during the time of the Judges, a spiritually dark time in Israel's history. When famine struck her hometown of Bethlehem, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, moved his family to Moab. Elimelech then died, leaving her with her sons. Her sons married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other named Ruth. But a number of years later, both Naomi's sons also died. Naomi's entire life crumbled in those years. As a widow in a foreign land, she had few options. She had no sons who could care for her. She was too old to remarry. The community and the extended family that she might have been able to rely on were far from her. They were in her hometown of Bethlehem. So Naomi decided to go home. 
back to Bethlehem. She set off with her daughters in, um, in tow. Naomi tried to spare them and encouraged them to go back, not wanting them to share in her bleak future. She encouraged them to go back to their families. They were her daughters-in-law and she wanted them to go back to their families. Orpha did, she decided to go back, but Ruth vowed to stay with Naomi. And she said this, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people are my people. Your God will be my God. Naomi had experienced some serious hardships. She had left Israel, married and secure, and she returned widowed and poor. As the two women entered Bethlehem and people started to recognise Naomi, Naomi changed her name to express the bitterness and pain that she felt. She said, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Naomi's name meant pleasant or sweet, but Naomi had lost her husband, lost her children, lost her home. She stood empty. So she declared that from then on her name would be Mara, meaning bitter. Naomi wasn't rejecting God by openly expressing her pain, but it seems she had temporarily lost sight of the remarkable resources that she had in her relationship with Ruth and with God. But understandably so, life had been brutal for her. But God hadn't abandoned Naomi. God's faithful covenant love was standing right next to her. She didn't come back to Bethlehem alone. Ruth was with her. Ruth was a Moabite, but she had turned away from her family and the gods of her people, irreversibly binding herself to Naomi and to God. This is a beautiful act of faithfulness and of sacrificial love. Have you ever stood in Naomi's shoes, blindsided and devastated by the tragedies of life and the heartbreaks of life? Like Naomi, sometimes life changes in an instant and we've all had um, a taste of that to a varying degree by living through a pandemic this year. But we lose a loved one, or we lose our health, or we lose a job, a home, a friendship, or perhaps we lose a dream. We lose. We cry out in the depths of our pain, perhaps believing that God has abandoned us. When we face bitter times, God welcomes our honest prayers, but we mustn't allow bitterness and disappointment to blind us to our opportunities and to the ways that God has been there all along. Four years ago when Paul and I lost our baby, um, our middle child, it was raw and it was crushing. After years of waiting and hoping, we were overjoyed, overjoyed to discover we were expecting again. The loss was devastating. We took ourselves away for a few days to begin to face our grief and Jesus in his kindness took the greatest care of us. In the bitterness of it all, in the loss, in the dashed hopes, in the deep disappointment. He walked with us and he was with us. We were bowled over by the sweetness of his presence and the love and comfort that he covered us in. 
bitter and sweet. He was our healing balm. Within days, delivering gifts of hope and peace and helping us to make sense of our loss and encouraging us to hold on to the joy of a little life that was now hidden from us, but safely with him. God hadn't abandoned Naomi. He had sent her Ruth. And God doesn't abandon us either. Even in the depths of our distress or discomfort, he is there. He places people around us who can encourage us and lift us up. People who help us to keep going when we want to give up. People who remind us not to stop in the middle of our journey and that joy waits on the other side of our sorrow. He makes provision for us to be supported in times of pain. And ultimately he has given us the Holy Spirit, our comforter and our counsellor. At the end of chapter one, in the book of Ruth, Naomi is declaring her bitterness and sorrow. But in chapter two, Naomi finds a glimmer of hope. When these two women arrived back in Bethlehem, they were destitute, devastated and broken. Neither of them knew how they would survive, but both of them had faith that somehow things would work out. Despite it all, they had hope for their future. Ruth and Naomi arrived in Bethlehem at the time of the barley harvest and to cut a long story short, I don't want to give it all away, God led Ruth to the field of a relative Boaz who would honour all that she had done for Naomi and would treat her really kindly. Boaz was Naomi's late husband's relative and their family redeemer, a close relative who volunteered to step in and take responsibility for the extended family. God had not abandoned them. God had led Ruth to their redeemer. Boaz recognised Ruth's sacrificial commitment to, to Naomi and to God and took steps to ensure her safety and secure a future for Ruth and Naomi. Boaz and Naomi got married and they had a son called Obed. Obed became the grandfather of King David, all of whom were in the lineage of Jesus Christ. The events recorded in, the, in Ruth were part of God's preparations for the birth of David and of Jesus. Just as Ruth and Naomi were unaware of the larger purpose in their lives, we won't know the full purpose and importance of our lives until we look back from the perspective of eternity. We might not be able to see beyond the pain of a broken marriage or a loved one who is far from God or why health fails or why work dynamics have to be so hard. But there is always hope in the midst of pain, in the midst and beyond our current circumstances. This is a story about how God restores those who look to him with hope. It's a reminder of the power of our redeemer. Naomi begins her story devastated but we know that devastation can lead to restoration. We see in the Bible that exile leads to return, that sorrow turns to joy, and death makes way for the resurrection. We are not left at the all is lost point in our story. But we do need to trust our Redeemer. We need to trust him as he renews us and sustains us on the journey. We have to learn to embrace the journey to embrace the bittersweet. 
in January this year, Paul became really unwell. Um, at first I was scared. We, we didn't know what was happening. What we thought at first was a nasty case of the flu uh, rapidly escalated. He deteriorated fast and ended up being rushed into hospital as they worked hard to stabilise him. After the initial shock, there were waves of relief, of deep gratitude that Paul was out of danger and that I was able to bring him home again after a few days in hospital. But in the days and weeks that followed, I experienced something that I couldn't have predicted. Disappointment. I think I could have predicted shock, reeling from the trauma of it all, uh, exhaustion, relief, and I did feel all those things. But the overriding feeling was disappointment and deep sadness. I'm not even entirely sure why I felt this way. Disappointment and sadness, of course, that Paul had had to go through such a physically and emotionally punishing ordeal. Disappointment that the girls had to witness their dad being so weakened and for such a long time. But that wasn't it. There was just such a deep and tangible yet indefinable disappointment. I prayed and I talked with Jesus and what I was also surprised about during this time was that I felt like for perhaps one of the first times in my, in my life in a point of crisis, I couldn't seem to find or access or hear or even sense God. The peace of God that I had become so familiar with, so at ease with, that guided and steadied me seemed to have temporarily left me. No matter how much I tried to connect with God, he seemed so far away. I wasn't having a crisis of faith. Um, I didn't doubt his goodness. I just felt like I was in a fog and I couldn't find my way out. It felt uncomfortable and disorientating. So I decided I just had to sit and wait and wait, trusting that there would be an end to it and a purpose to it. I stopped wrestling and questioning. I stopped praying for God to speak, not in a resigned or in a stubborn way, but by choosing to lean on what I knew to be true of God. I decided to just wait. I remember saying to God, I'll just, I'll just sit here with you in the same way that you can sit without having to talk with a really good friend. The weeks passed and the waiting and the sitting continued. Paul slowly recovered and we began to emerge out of the other side. I gradually emerged from the fog also. As I look back and even at the time, I think at some level I could sense that God was teaching me to hold firm in the tension, to embrace the bittersweet. In the silence and in the space, he was teaching me to be content in the mystery to trust him with the pain and the unknowns and rejoice in the joys and the mercies, choosing perspective and practicing gratitude. What I couldn't have predicted was that shortly after all of that, we would enter a global pandemic. So the training ground for embracing the bittersweet was set to continue. Bittersweet is the notion that something broken and something beautiful can coexist. That there are glimmers of hope in every heartbreak and that rejoicing is no less rich when it contains a little sadness.
I find it so inspiring when people manage to hold on to hope in the midst of painful times, trusting God's sovereignty even when there are no answers. Bitter is what makes us strong and forces us to push through. Sweet is nice enough, but bittersweet is beautiful. It's full of depth and complexity. Bittersweet is courageous, it's gutsy and it's earthy. When life is really painful, it's not easy to hope. It's hard to have faith. But when things are most difficult, that's when we need faith and hope the most. In the moments where life feels like it's crushing us, let's choose to have faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 reminds us that faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And looking at the book of Ruth, we can see that even when we can't see beyond our pain to his plan, we can have hope that our story isn't over, that better days are coming. There will always be struggles, but heaven gives us this promise and we read it in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and ex eternal weight of glory. The words weight of glory conjure up for me images of weighing scales, you know, the ones with the two pans. If all our burdens were stacked on one side, the scales would plummet. What does God do in response? Does he remove them? Does he eliminate the burdens? No, not necessarily. Rather than take them, he offsets them. He places an eternal weight of glory on the other side endless peace, measureless joy, and eternity with him. Many components of our faith come with bitter and sweet, and our most obvious symbol is the cross. It is a bitter reminder of, our, of a painful and torturous death, but the empty tomb reminds us of the sweet and joyous news of Jesus' resurrection. Death and sin have been defeated. Gifts of grace and eternal life are ours. Bitter and sweet, they seem to go hand in hand. The struggles of life can be extremely painful, exponentially more so if we fight it, but our trials also have the potential to open us up and deliver us right into the palm of God's hand, which is where we probably wanted to be all along if we weren't so busy pulling and pushing our life to where we thought we wanted it to be. Life is not a simple package. It's full of the both and. It's funny and tragic. It's hopeful and disappointing, sometimes even in the same moment. But the very good news is that we have a redeemer. When it looks like all is lost and seems that hope is gone, we can remember that God has given us a redeemer and his name is Jesus. We're not alone, we're not abandoned. God is still at work in the midst of our circumstances and we can put our full hope in him. So when life is sweet, let's say thank you and celebrate. And when life is bitter, let's choose to say thank you and grow. Let's learn to embrace the bittersweet, learning to allow the bitter and sweet elements of life to coexist. It's not just about embracing the bittersweet moments. It's about embracing the bittersweet life. 
as Jesus said in John 16:33, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world, bitter and sweet. In Psalm 30 verse 5 we read that weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning, bitter and sweet. Embracing the bittersweet, the bittersweet life will take courage, honesty, a fair amount of overcoming, choosing to hold on to hope, choosing to have faith and choosing to remember who our Redeemer is. Embracing the bittersweet keeps us anchored. It keeps us anchored to the one who says life will be bittersweet, but also that he has overcome the world. He is our model and our goal. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus, that he is our model and our goal, that he shows us and teaches us how to embrace the bitter elements of life, the bitter sweetness of life, Thank you that he is working for our good and that you are glorified in all things. And Holy Spirit, I welcome you now. I welcome you in all the homes, all the places and spaces that our community find themselves in, are at this present moment scattered but gathered community. And we long to be together. We long to stand alongside each other and lay hands and pray for one another. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. That you have sent us the Holy Spirit as our comforter and our counsellor. That he is our portion. He is everything that we need. And Lord, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit now. That we will tangibly encounter you. And I pray for each of us in whatever we're facing, whatever bitterness, whatever disappointment we may be carrying, that we will encounter God now. That he will show us and reveal to us that there are glimmers of hope. And Lord, I pray that you empower us. You empower us to be the kind of people that can take the bitter and can take the sweet and can allow them to coexist and can be strengthened and can grow and that our lives will model something to those around us that is so counter to everything that the world shows so countercultural So Lord, I pray that you minister to us now. I pray that you speak to us. I pray that you empower us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And for some of you, it may be that the bitterness of life is just overwhelming. And I want to pray and I want to declare hope over you now. That now and in the hours and in the days and in the weeks to come, you will experience glimmers of hope. 
that we'll be able to hang on to faith, knowing that better days are coming. I'm going to leave you now. We're going to play some music and I'm just going to leave you in the power and in the presence of our Lord and Saviour.